Thundergrunt. Blockbusters, the show where we treat the final edit of a movie like the script. I'm one of the hosts, Bob Rose. My handle on Twitter is at ThundergruntBob, and now the other two guys are going to introduce themselves. I am Jimmy George. I am a screenwriter and script consultant. My Twitter handle is at Jimmy R. George. I'm Jamie Nash, and I'm a screenwriter and writer of Save the Cat Rights for TV. Go buy it today on Amazon. My Twitter account is at Jamie underscore Nash. And today we are going to talk about a movie that was both in theaters and is currently available on streaming with Peacock, right? We're going to talk about the Black Phone. Uh, Who's the director? uh, It's uh, the guy who did Doctor Strange, right? Mm-hmm. Scott Sinister. Derrickson. Scott Derrickson. See, see, I'm Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. Right now, it's not Sam Raimi. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. It's Scott, oh, Scott, Scott Derrickson and I understood Robert. that reference. Right. <laughs> uh. So before we get into it, let's do our usual thing, right? Yeah. And say what we all personally thought of it before we start talking about the actual uh topics that we want to discuss. So just our. Our water cooler reviews. Uh, who wants to go first? Jamie, go. Uh, my water cooler review is a very solid um, single, I think, is my my take on this. Like like a good movie. I turned it on. I, I liked it a lot. I think it's very <laughs> instructive to new writers. It's the kind of thing I like to try to. I try to hit a solid single when I write these kind of movies. That's what it was for me. You know, not a huge concept, not a huge epic movie a simple movie uh well made didn't outstay its welcome was fun that's that's kind of where i'm at with it cool all right it sounds like a negative review but it's really not <laughs> it's really like i it's it's like not a lot of movies are a good solid single yeah no exactly. <laughs> um like i could count yeah. them on my you know so a solid single might put it in the top 10 can, movies that i've watched this year i realize we're doing our, our reviews but can you explain to anyone listening what a solid single is exactly well it's yeah. just uh it, well baseball terms <clears throat> uh <laughs> hitting a single means uh you succeeded it you didn't score a run uh maybe <laughs> so it wasn't like a super a babe ruth uh might hit a home run but you know, a good, decent player like Cal Ripken might hit a bunch of solid singles. That's my take. Okay, I'm just uh, yeah. I was just wondering if people may not know what that was. I don't know. But, <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I, I guess. I guess there's the dating version. Like I'm a solid single. It's like a, somebody who wait lifts and goes on uh, yeah. Tinder. Eight, I don't know. I was just kind of making right. sure no one was like, why is he talking about the I don't relationship status of the movie? What's <laughs> uh, Jimmy, go for it. So I um, <laughs> it's fine. I'm not. I'm this. This is gonna sound negative two probably but i don't mean it to be uh i feel very much like jamie i think it was solid is the word that i was gonna use just like jamie said um there's 
a lot that you can learn from this if you're a new writer, especially if you're someone who's trying to like learn horror movies. Like there's a lot of like, we've talked a lot in the past about how like Disney movies are really easy to like learn these techniques from like character arcs, things like that. And I feel like, like it's simplicity. The black phone simplicity is, is, is like a good thing and it works in its favor. Like sometimes simple is better. And in this case that it, I, I think that's why it's so good. Like uh, there's so many things you can learn that we're not going to talk about on this episode, like repetition reversal. The premise delivery is great. Finn's arc is, is really easy to track and really instructive. There's thematic resonance. I think there's some really good examples of structural beats, like the dark night of the soul, which we don't have on the talking points is like one of the pure uh, prototypical dark night of the soul scenes. And if you're trying to like get your fingers on like the pulse of what dark night of the soul is and how is it raining, is it raining in the scene? Um, No, it's not raining, but I I mean, it might as well be. (laughs) And, um, the uh, there's good news, bad news technique. Like there's like three or four good news, bad news technique scenes that we didn't even track for the episode. And yeah, my, my take on it is this is if you're a horror screenwriter, this is kind of the type of story you should be writing. You know, it's big, high concept, simple on a budget, effective. Uh, again, it's it's paced really well. It's 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 doesn't have a ton of fat in it. It's, it does all the things, checks all the boxes. Yeah. So, and then I just wanted to add one more thing. If you are listening and you really liked this movie and you haven't heard of a show called Medium, um, I think the, the main reason that I had like a just like this was a good movie, but like I wasn't blown away is because the story engine for that show is this movie, which is Allison, Patricia Arquette's character, has uh, basically dreams and has conversations in real world with ghosts. Both of them are driven by the ghosts of murder victims who then show her how to find the killer who's still out there killing and how to save her, save the next victim that the killer is about to kill. And the story engine for that show and the way that it plays with those ideas, everything that show did is in this movie. Like, in fact, there's like four or five episodes where there's serial killers and Allison is working with like five or six ghosts who are all collectively working to take down this serial killer. And they even like whisper in his ear when she catches them, they all one by one whisper in his ear as he's dying, like things like that. Like, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jamie, but no, no, I, I, something about that, you know, in relation to that, when we get to one of my topics, I I've watched every episode of medium. I think it's a very, I I love the cast of that show. Mm -hmm. I think it does weird things. I think, but one of the problems I had with this movie is something I've, I always had this problem with in medium. So when we talk about it, I'll, I'll get it. Okay. Awesome. Yes. I'm excited to get there. So yeah, I I didn't even think about that until you said that. Uh, So (laughs) they basically split Alison Dubois powers into two characters. So you have one person who dreams, one person, and we're also going to talk about that later. One person who's talking to ghosts. And in that show, she does both in every episode. So right. anyway, okay, so that's my take. Uh, yeah, I, I was gonna say before you said the medium thing, I was gonna say I really enjoy this movie. Same thing. I'm not gonna go crazy over it, but I I really enjoy it. For me, it kind of feels like it could be part of an anthology. It feels like that type of story, you know. Really, like you said, James, which it was, I mean? right? <laughs> yeah, the short, the short story, the short story was part of a group of other short stories. Oh, so, I had no clue about its origin, so 
to me, I'm just feeling this naturally by watching the movie. It just feels like an anthology story that was expanded, you know, to... Uh, That's exactly what it was. Yep. So I like it. I don't know if I, I've watched it twice. I don't know if I truly love it here, but I'll say this is that when my favorite part of the movie... My absolute favorite part of the movie, just objectively, is the one part that's kind of the side thing, which is a different premise, which is a serial killer who has his, uh, you know, slothful idiot brother have to move into his house <laughs> while he's still trying to maintain his killing schedule. And, and, and the killer is really annoyed with his brother living in his house. Like that like, uh... is it's a comedy situation two, that two and like, a half men meets dexter <laughs> right right it's like this <laughs> comedy situation that i found so i wanted more of that so bad yeah. the whole time because to me that was absolutely enthralling of a concept of just like this dude hates his, his low-life brother but he loves him still and he's also a zero killer genius that's an right? off-screen movie that's it's really the tantalizing movie, and i couldn't help but want it more than the movie I was getting, and that is not an insult to the movie I got. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, man, that is such a good concept for comedy. <laughs> I couldn't help but love it. You know, and it's not talked about with this movie that much. It's not pointed out. Like his yeah. thing with his brother is just not spoken about that often. Absolutely my favorite part. I love it so much. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, laughing because I thought it was funny. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's sort of. I mean, one of the things that makes that leap out, I think, is it's a little bit unpredictable. Like, you're like, where is it's this going? It's a curveball. Like, it's a curveball. I, I was actually kind of disappointed and a little surprised that he just killed his brother in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, that's too easy of a resolution. Like, he's been he's been trying to have it both ways for so long. Then just to just kill him wasn't yeah, yeah. wasn't the satisfying resolution I wanted. I was, uh, I was hoping but, yeah. his love for his brother would stop that from happening. Yeah, exactly. Like something weird yeah. would happen. And his there. brother would be involved in the climax of sorts. Right. You know? right. Yeah, but that, that aspect was so enthralling to me. And it was even the second watch, I was like, I want a different movie with a slightly different tone that is this. <laughs> Because the way he's like, the way he talks to the kids, just like, is everything so different? And the guy is like, like he's the serial killer with this whole agenda and everything, but he's also <laughs> like, his soul is broken because his brother is doing coke upstairs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's great, it's it's so funny, it's good. Anyway, uh, Jamie, mm -hmm. who wrote this shit? Yes, so this was written by. Uh, it's based on a Joe Hill uh, short story, and Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King, if you mm -hmm, didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill. Is that how you pronounce his mm -hmm. name? Yeah. Funny. I've known of him for so long, but don't know. never said his name aloud. A great you know? Twitter account. Yes. Fantastic Twitter yes. account. Yes. Yeah. And seems like a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, uh, and I guess... Scott Derrickson came on the scene with the exorcism of Emily Rose. Was that kind of his breakout? And then yeah, Hellraiser and then, four was his first. Oh, really? I, uh, Hellraiser I'm not looking Inferno, at the credits. Okay. Which is, I considered by a lot of people to be the better of the direct video Hellraiser. Mm. Oh. Okay. And uh, yeah, he, then he kind of, he kind of stepped up into theatrical the from exorcism. There. And of course, sinister is the one people yeah, point to as being kind of that next level. And then they got Dr. Strange and then he chose uh, to do this over Dr. Strange too. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So uh, 
so yeah, it's a Joe Hill uh, short story. And and by the way, just to look at the box office super quick, this movie worldwide, $158 million. Damn. Mm. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Or, uh, what kind of budget are we talking? Um, 18 million. Okay, yeah, that's that's incredible. Wow. So I looked it up on Box it's Office It's a blockbuster. Mojo. It is. Yeah, I looked it up on Box Office Mojo, but now I have lost my tab. Uh, so let's see here if I can bring it back up. Yeah, I won't worry about it. But what I'll, what I'll say is it came in somewhere around the 20s worldwide. I think it was 21, right behind Nope. So, you know, Nope was, and again, we talked last week that Nope is, a more expensive movie you know it kind of was this bigger budgeted thing uh it, it was like i can't remember if it was 60 or 70 i think he said 70, was I, 70 i feel like 70 it was a, yeah. a mid-budget movie yep yep yeah. so for a solid single of a movie it's probably a triple as far as budget <laughs> making their run. money back yeah a home run as far as money yeah i was gonna back. say it's pretty profitable yeah especially in this day and age where because then you figure it it went almost immediately to streaming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know that undercuts like what kind of money some of it could get, but also mm-hmm. it probably boosts the stock price of the Peacock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they yeah. uh, we, well we did the uh, Northman that was also like almost the same yep. release plan, right? That's the second one, much that different we've done. budget, <laughs> but the same <laughs> release plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, and so like you said, this started as a short story, right? It did. It okay. did. So yeah. it's a Joe Hill story in, in the book 20th Century Ghosts. Um, and I wanted to talk very briefly or or not so brief. We could talk forever about yeah, it. Yeah. We can <laughs> just go on about the short story versus the movie. Uh, so the movie is very uh, what's the word? What's the, what's the word? Not truthful, um, faithful. That's the word I'm looking for. It's very faithful to the uh, short story. Just to give you guys a feel. I'll, I'll kind of outline the short yeah, story. Because I haven't read it, yeah. Yeah, I neither have I. Neither have I. It's, it's something like, and it's been a little while since I read it, but it's it's about 30-ish pages. I think it was, it was like maybe 7,000, 8,000 words total. So it's a very, you know, it's not a hugely long short story, <laughs> a very average short story. And it starts with the kid getting abducted. Uh, so our hero getting abducted. Um, it starts with that uh the black balloon scene where he's taken in the van. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the short story starts. Uh, so it immediately ends up in the basement and the guy talking to him. The guy's very different. I, if I remember correctly, there's no mask. That that part is totally an invention of the movie. Oh. I think his his name's like Fat Al or something. Is the guy who takes him. He's his nickname is the Grabber and all that stuff. He's a uh, clown, right? Uh, yeah, that's a, I read. I I did a little it's, digging, it's, and he's it's, a clown. It, yeah, it's funny that 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 might be true. I so I don't they, remember so they that part. The makeup to like a mask to a thing. magician. Yeah. yeah. So so um yeah maybe it was with the balloons and the clown. It might have been too much like another movie made by <laughs> somebody's father. Too John Wayne Gacy ish. <laughs> he was a Gacy inspired. Oh, he killer. was Gacy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they. They kind of sit. They sit in the basement, have similar conversations. The black phone's there. It's clear that he has heard the black phone before. Um, but then, really, the the movie goes into like there's a quick little taste of backstory, where you know the kid's kind of remembering the first time he heard about the grabber, and it was 
he played in a baseball game against this other pitcher okay. and he played one time. So that part's there. Um, he remembers that being taken and he kind of reflects on that was the night his dad had a fight with his mom. So there's a little, little taste of that. Of like the abusive, the abusive dad. thing, but just that's it. You know, it's like, that was yeah. the same night I heard noises with my dad and mom and they got in the big fight. Um, so there's just a little taste of these things. Uh, and really, I, if I'm remembering the the short story correctly, and I really should have reread it before, I <laughs> um, the baseball kid is the only kid he talks to on that phone. That's it. So because oh. it is a short story, um, and and basically they get right to the, you know, you have to hit him with the with the phone kind of thing. Almost, you know. The, oh wow! It gets, okay, it gets to it pretty quickly. I, I should say um, the the actual phone calls are dragged out a little bit. Like it takes a little while before he's actually having a conversation with that kid. Um, but that kid ultimately coaches him up, tells him to put the sand on the phone. Now, interestingly enough, the brother is in there. Um, the, the guy on the phone, he says, yeah, his brother's upstairs and he's a druggie and stuff like that. So there's a hint of it. We just don't spend any time with him. Um, I and then figured that would have been the, addition of the movie you know yeah and and, and the brother <laughs> yeah. actually, the brother actually comes down and finds him and he kills the brother it's so that that whole thing plays out very okay. similar uh but he doesn't really make any other escape attempts like he does in the movie he doesn't have like the three or four escape attempts mm -hmm. or anything like that he, he basically um defeats the villain gets out uh there is a hint of a sister but the sister's older there's a hint there's this one little tiny nugget that kind of says his sister's into tarot cards and stuff like that, <laughs> but it really doesn't have like the medium aspect that the movie has. Like gotcha. it, it kind of sister had being a medium. Yeah, story. exactly. There's, there's like this one little sentence about that, as I remember when I read it and it just kind of hints like that his sister might be a little psychic or something, but it really doesn't say anything more. Um, and then he makes it out and that's it. So it's with him the whole time in the basement. There's, and you know, everything else, the whole added outside world is only in his reflection or him, his memories <laughs> or something like that. Um, and I think, so anyway, what we wanted to talk about a little bit was, you know, adapting a short story to a feature. And a lot of short stories get adapted into great features. And I think it's because you can blow them up. And, um, it reminds me of something Neil Gaiman uh, uh, said in his master class, which I we've talked about before because I use it for in some ways for my setups, which is he approaches short stories as if imagine there's a whole story before it, but we're just jumping in on the uh, yeah, we're jumping in on the third act or something like that. And make every movie a sequel is what you said, Jamie, yeah, to right. a movie that just happened. We didn't see. Right. Right. And, and now with his short story, that's what I say with my uh, setup thing. But with his thing, he, he just says, imagine that your short story is the third act. So you don't have to do all the setup and all that stuff, You but you're kind of doing it on the fly. Like you're saying you have a sister, but you're not meeting the sister and having a scene with her and all that stuff. So you can almost see where they went through the short story and they plucked those little one sentence things out. And that's what got added to the additional, the earlier acts and things like that. It was like, let's set up the sister. It seems like the father has a domestic abuse thing. Let's set that up. And, th and then they made, they, they gave us scenes with all of those people. They gave us another viewpoint with the daughter. They gave us another viewpoint with the drug addict brother um, and all those things, you know, 
they built up. And then they also, of course, expanded the the abduction aspects of the story. Um, and, and they as, show some of the cops, too. They show, like, law enforcement. And they show law enforcement. Yeah. They show kind of the hunt for the killer, uh, yeah, things yeah. like that. So, you know, it's a it's a very interesting um, – if you read the, the short story, you can almost feel how it is truly faithful. It just literally takes each nugget and says, you know, how do we expand this? How do we make – how do we give this – three acts as opposed to just have it be one quick act. Uh, and I think it does a really good, a really good job with it. Um, it's like they did the whiteboard for each one of those sentences, each one of those sentences. It's like yeah. they, they mined that short story for each little word and sentence and idea. And they, and they actually kind of stuck to it. And that's what they used, you know, when they expanded their, their story. It's like they, I, they left the premise almost completely in place and then mm -hmm. draped character all over it right because mm -hmm. the fan yeah. all the family drivers character and right? theme and all and these the other yeah, things right, yeah right yeah yeah it's it's interesting too because when you read this short i don't remember it has a huge amount of theme it's enough just mm -hmm. to kind of talk about the incident and it doesn't it doesn't go really in depth on backstory of characters or feelings or anything like that it just kind of is enough to tell a little survival story with a little bit of uh you know, supernatural in it and then get out. It doesn't, it doesn't hit you over the head with a lot of theme or character arc or why this is so important to this character or anything like that. But anyway, that is I, the short story. One of the things I like from listening, actually just listening to you talk about the short story is I like that there's a, uh, a genetic explanation for why the boy might have, might've been the one to have this yeah. happen. Yeah, because yeah, the family obviously has this traumatic mm -hmm. thing that's genetic where they yeah. see things or hear things. They made it organic. It made, yeah. yeah, it feels organic that what was added instead it, of it, instead of like a freak uh, coincidence. Coincidence. Yeah. It's like his family has some reason. Yeah, that they hear things or, or in different ways. Right. Yeah. Really like that. J um, Jimmy, is that? Like later on, you had a thing about double mumbo jumbo. Is that kind of what you're referring to? Yeah, I wanted yeah. to. I mean, we can skip down and then I'll go back to because I I, Sorry, I do I want to talk about. No, no, that, it's OK. But... No, I think it's a good place for it. Let's yeah, let's yeah. let's uh, let's do it. So like, Jamie, do you want to kind of introduce double mumbo jumbo and then we can yeah. kind of talk about it? Yeah. Double mumbo jumbo is a Blake Snyder save the cat kind of idea where he basically says you can't put two magics or two like crazy I, I always say buy-ins like like you can't have two buy-ins in the same concept now you're marvel right well and and there are movies yeah marvel yeah. has shown us that you can <laughs> and it's funny because people read that book now and they're like this guy's an idiot every marvel movie has 10 different magics and it's honestly the, there's two funny things about it probably when he wrote the book the world hadn't seen the, that kind of stuff that much that was yeah. just like for comic book readers. we have been like, conditioned in yeah. tv and film since then yeah yeah yeah, yeah. outside of um like cowboys versus aliens or something where the concept was look how ridiculous this is it's cowboy not that there's buy-in in cowboys it's just that's just the time but um but anyway uh, so the idea was if you have a ufo movie you can't then suddenly have a ghost movie too like it can't be like yeah. a haunted house and then totally unrelated a guy gets abducted by a ufo like yeah. that's because you see yeah. that that's really what he was yeah he, he the example he uses is stephen king's dream catcher which works as a novel 
that's 500 plus pages to flesh all of those all of those mumbo jumbos out but in a movie we have telekinesis um uh dream dream powers uh aliens a and like an alien uh pandemic there's also, like six also like uh mental uh you know multiple personalities multiple which is also per- its own so, thing. so there's yeah. like six different mumbo jumbos in Dreamcatcher, and william goldman who's like regarded as like one of the great screenwriters he couldn't even handle that like he wrote Dreamcatcher, and it's a fucking mess even yeah. though i like the movie but oh, i love you, that movie you put that in a novel <laughs> yeah. it works <laughs> it works well, so that's yeah you know what's interesting too is stranger things has like a lot of that stuff yeah, yeah. but with Stranger Things does that fixes the problem is it's shared DNA that brings about the stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was working with a client a couple of weeks ago. Was, you know, every now and then I'll do screenwriting consulting like Jimmy. And they had like a time travel. They, they had a movie that had monsters and had time travel. Right. And they, they hadn't really thought that they couldn't have both. They were like, we have monsters, but then I want it to be like back to the future where they go back and see the monsters before. And, to me, it was like the answer was pretty simple. It's like whatever the magic that brings the monsters, whatever that mythology is, you, if you root your time travel in that, then it's okay. Yep. But if you just have like a random guy down the street who has a time travel machine, that's a problem. Yeah. So, 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 so the, so the, the example here that I want to, you know, if taken at face value, I would expect this to feel like double mumbo jumbo, which is, uh, first we have a phone that allows you to talk to ghosts, right? So that's its own mumbo jumbo. Then we have, and so Finn is the character who experiences all this. Then we have a character, his sister, Gwen, who has dreams. And that's, so I, but I think the difference maker is later it's revealed full, full clarity when she's sitting next to the ghost that's also simultaneously helping Finn that the ghosts are bringing her the dream. So it, it goes to the point you just made, Jamie. It's Then it becomes one ghost logic, right? So, so what it's revealed to be is one magic. It's, it's mm-hmm. not actually double mumbo jumbo. So I think that's the difference maker here, why, why it feels okay. Because I have heard people complain about it, and I thought going in, I've stayed pretty spoiler-free, but it's in mm-hmm. the concept itself. And I thought going in, that was going to be something that was – I, I wasn't on board with right, but right. I think it works. Yeah, I think it's I think it's one mumbo jumbo that might feel like two, mm-hmm. but it's really one. Well, can, can, can I also say, like you said about the phone, I've seen complaints about people saying, Why is this phone special? And from my read of the movie, especially even the second time, I was like, the phone doesn't matter. It's like it's not a <laughs> right. new mumbo jumbo, it's not a haunted phone, it's not a special phone. It's just how that kid is having his visions mm-hmm. it's yeah. how the ghosts have chosen yeah, it, the, the phone is literally incidentally there and it's just how the it's happening it doesn't and the phone if they didn't do anything with this but that's like a very famous party game the black phone is like a right, bloody right. mary right and and so i'm sure that was the root of of that of but the seed I, of it all anyway which is the black phone you my do point you is, dial numbers on the phone you hang it up you do stuff and then you talk to ghosts so my point is though it, the phone isn't special it's just it's a, a, it's just a thing in the room yeah and the kids having like these visions 
that's incorporating yeah. his surroundings. It has nothing to do with that phone being special or haunted or yeah. Anything. The the yeah. phone is not magical. It's yeah. not magical. And I, people, I've seen people like complain about the movie with that in mind. Like, mm -hmm. how what is with this phone? Like, why? And you know phone? why? Because yeah. they're feeling this double mumbo jumbo. They're that's feeling like a little bit. They're yeah. they're 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 feeling double mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. I mean. It, you could make a lesser movie where the room's just haunted with the dead people and they show up, mm -hmm. you know, but instead yeah. they're kind of using the mechanism as the phone. Cause it's kind of fun. But I think what's instructive fun, is yeah. what you said, Jamie, which is the example you gave. Like if you can find a way to make your multiple sets of magic all interconnected to one set of logic, then it, it absolves you of that confusion. And it, it, it it's, it just, it works. So, yeah, and I think was... I think it works here. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Yeah. yeah. But awesome. so, yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to go forward. back to perspective. I was going to say, let's go back to POV, right? Yeah. Since Jamie, because you said the, the story is all through the kids perspective, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah, like yeah. 100%. everything, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So it I never, think never deviates at all. There's yeah, no... that's right. That's, that's so right. Okay. and that's and that's like a. I don't know. Is there a, has is there like a a codified um, film version of first person, second person, third person of how in a novel you write or a short story you write things in first person, you write things in second person, you write. There's in in film that's sort of like a really important choice to make up front. It, it, the funny thing is, it's a really important choice, and it confuses people because when you start yeah. talking about it, they think it's like found footage or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you start yeah. talking it's not about that POV. serious. <laughs> yeah. It it just means that you're only going to shoot things that are kind of revealed to your main character mm -hmm. as they're as the, as they're revealed to the audience, they're revealed to the main character. That's really what it means in in the film, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can you don't have to shoot it from their eyes uh, like in a book. It's not, you're, it's not a you're first person. Yeah, it's video per, game. It, it, yeah, and it's perspective. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and right. and and um, we haven't discussed this topic very much in the show. But one great episode we talked about uh, this a lot in was Doctor Sleep. How by playing with those perspectives by constantly swapping the perspectives, it gives you as a writer this extra tool to create tension and suspense and disorientation to the point where it's just enough. We know just enough to keep us off balance and keep us interested into wanting to know what's next. And we don't know enough. Um, I, and I also ahead. think it could be dangerous. Yes. Because if you, let's say the kid is really scared, locked in the basement, but then you're flashing to the cops who are on the hunt and they're closing in. Yep. It can kill tension. Yeah. It can it can alleviate tension when maybe you shouldn't be alleviating tension. Exactly. There's, there's dangers with it too. You have to proceed with caution. But I wanted to go through the examples of how this does it right. And this is another really instructive technique that this story uses. So we have four different perspectives in the film which is really like when you're watching it, it doesn't feel like you're, you're, you're having that many different perspectives, but we really are. Um, we've got Gwen's perspective. And so when we're with Gwen, we see what the dreams, we see 100% what she sees. So we're one, locked into what Gwen is seeing, but we're not ever sure whether what she's seeing is, is going to get us to, to, to the rescue of Finn. We're, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to like adjust as she is, 
understand what that what all the things she's seeing means and we're trying to answer questions constantly that she's trying to answer so we're never given like you said jamie we're never given like yes this is the house like right where he is we know exactly where the house is we see the house but we don't know where it is and we don't know how far away she is from that house or finding that house so it's there's constant tension through her perspective then we have finn's pov and this is like my favorite thing they do which is we only know, we only learn about the situation itself, what Finn knows. We don't know, like, first we're like, what the hell is happening? Then we're like, what is that phone? Then we're like, who or what is calling? Then we're like, who is this grabber? And what does he plan to do with Finn? We're constantly being given new questions to ask and creating new tension and new suspense through every new call is giving us new information. And it's information that only Finn knows. And so we don't know anything else. And it's, it's a nice, they took that short story in that section of it. They did exactly what the short story did, which is mm -hmm. we are only learning what Finn does. Then there's, there's the perspective of the grabber. And as soon as Finn is kid, kidnapped, we are always shown or often shown where the grabber is in proximity to him. And it creates tension, right? Like the grabber is sitting, waiting outside the stairs, just waiting. Finn doesn't know that. But since we know that, it creates this extra set of, of tension. Like, if you take that away, it's actually less tense. Like, you would think, you would think knowing where the grabber is would make it would make it less tense. But knowing where he is actually Al works. Amps in, it up. We're amps it up. It's that it's that slippery slope. It's also between. like one of the few times we're like ahead of. Thing, yes. Right. The yeah. superior position. Yeah. The superior it's only, position. Right. Yeah. 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 So they use superior position to, in two perspectives, which is the grabber, and then it's the detectives. We even get our detect, like you said, Bob. They chose to do a little, a little, a little bit, bit of detectives, a little bit of cops. I like the cops. Yeah, I like the cops too. And I think that that really the the power of choosing to do those cops is another bit of keeping us off balance because they're we're following their investigation, and for most of the time, we don't know whether they're getting closer or not. We we kind of only know what they know, just like with Finn. And just like with Gwen, we kind of go like, are they getting close? And then they do that one swap where they give a superior position, which is they show that the cops were literally on top of Finn and didn't even know it. And then they take it away again. Like we, after that, we don't know where the cops are looking, how close it is to Finn to the very point when they get to that house, and it's the wrong house, you know, if not right for house. the mumbo jumbo, he would have succeeded. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like they would never have found anything. So I think this is a good example of how to study. You can study this and, and see how it uses. It plays with swapping perspectives where the short story didn't to a greater effect in the film. Like if they had if they had just kept it to film's perspective, to Finn's perspective, it would be a very different experience and probably not as good of a movie. So I, th I think it's really instructive. It would be solid as like a one location movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like is, like buried or something. Yeah. yeah it would yeah, be like, like buried, buried with yeah. new skin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and there, there are certainly horror and thrillers that do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But it's kind of like their gimmick almost in some mm -hmm. ways. Not even a gimmick necessarily, no, but they're very claustrophobic. They yes. do. They do. They do a great job of making this feel fleshed out like a full movie. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like you said, Jamie, it doesn't feel gimmicky at, at all. Like, no. well, well, one of the one of the things that's not related to screenwriting that I really liked about the movie was the uh, the nostalgia was a little different for me. It, it, it wasn't like Stranger <laughs> Things nostalgia, but right. it, 
it felt like whoever created this movie grew up in that time frame. It felt familiar to me because I grew up. I I'm a little bit probably younger than this time. This was seemed like late seventies kind of era. Was that? Did, did we get yeah, it? Yeah, late seventies, seventy eight. By the way, that was the one thing I can't remember from the short story. If it had, if it was period. I can't remember oh, that. Oh, interesting. Um, I just don't remember that even being an issue with it, you know, because he's in the basement and there's this old black phone and, you know, I can't remember. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Scott, Scott Derrickson is 56 years old. Okay. So that, so, that yeah. seems like the right time period, right? Yeah, I get some quotes yep. when, when, we, when we start talking about other stuff. I got some quotes from them about mm. the choices to put it there. Yeah. So, so that stuff to me felt like a very important part about why they wanted to, or they got excited about making this movie yeah. because they did it in such a way that it didn't feel nostalgic, but it, to me, it felt real. It felt, it very was, it very much was evocative. And I was a, I was a very little kid at that time, but you know, that was a time like my, one of my first memories was like the Atlanta child murders. If you remember mm-hmm. those or when the kids went missing in Atlanta and that was a big news story every night. So stranger danger, all that stuff. And that was right in the seventies. Um, and I, I don't know. I just got a good feel. It, there's nothing garish about the nostalgia in the movie. No, I mean, the biggest no. needle drop is like the scene with the bully in the uh, convenience store playing pinball. <laughs> like that's yeah. like the biggest <laughs> needle drop in the movie. And it, I don't think, I don't think it feels garish at all. It feels, it right. feels in tone and everything. Right. right. Yep. I know that. Yeah, we're talking about filmmaking now, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. There's writing there, Bob. There is, yeah. but a lot, it's, it's a lot of execution too. Mm-hmm. It could be overbearing with like, <laughs> yeah. it's the 70s, if it was Detroit, you know? well, Detroit right. Rock City or something again, like um, that, which I'm, again, I'm down with. I love not for this that. movie. You yeah. Know? Again, yeah. though, with with their adaptation. uh, you know, I don't even remember in the short story if it if it if it configured a time. So that was a big oh, really? choice. Okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was. Yeah, a big I mean, choice. Yeah. It, it it paints everything. With like, that, with yeah, like brush. time yeah, setting. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe it's just because I'm a horrible reader or have a bad memory, but I just don't even remember it being important from reading the short story, like when it was, because mm-hmm. he was trapped in the basement. Yeah, you know, it's like who cares? Yeah, the world is happening out there. You're yeah. in this cold four walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, remember the movie Room and not the Room. Yeah, room. yeah. It, yeah. With, where Captain Marvel, um, origin story. No, <laughs> right, so. right. Well, no, you're not right. Yeah, man. It's the same actress. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is. I think this is an interesting question and a weird one, right? That you guys put down because I think the answer for most people will be simple. But <laughs> what's the genre? Yeah, and I, I why, tell you why. Yeah. I tell you why I put this down. Okay, because last time. We had a thing that I went into surely thinking it was a horror movie. And I came out thinking, you know, a real monster in the house movie, which I'll talk about one second. And I came out saying, oh, that's not a monster in the house movie. It was a horror movie, but not a monster in the house. And that was Nope. So if you listen back to Nope, you'll see me talk about a movie that I think is a horror movie, but isn't a monster in the house movie. So when I was watching this one, I was having the same kind of conversation in my head. And here's why. So, so that nope was in my head, right? I was like, I'm not just going to immediately go to monster in the house with this. <laughs> and <laughs> let me go to another, I'll go to another um, genre. So the genres, by the way, genres are save the cat thing. Blake Snyder, their story patterns. They usually can use them to help brainstorm a story. If you have a concept, like let's say, let's say you just know you want to do something about a black phone that um, talks 
you know, you can talk to dead people with, you know, and there's a magic phone that talks to supernatural. You can use these story patterns to kind of brainstorm what type of story you want to tell. Uh, maybe you want to tell a buddy comedy with it. And the person on the other end of the phone is, uh, is, um, you know, it's a funny, it's a, it's Kevin Hart. I don't know. You're Kevin right, Hart's right. Right, right. whatever, or Kevin Hart's the other guy. I don't know. And he's a psychic now. Um, maybe, maybe you want to tell a golden fleece story. I don't know what that would be. You're searching for the supernatural phone or something. Yeah, um, so anyway, you can go through these different ones. Uh, one is buddy love. One is golden fleece. And then there's one we talk about all the time, which is monster in the house, monster in the house. So I'm going to talk about another one before we go into monster in the house. And that's dude with a problem. So here is the definition of a dude with a problem story. Okay. Dude with a problem, an innocent hero who is dragged into a mess without asking for it, or even aware of how they got involved. So it's really just somebody that's not Unlike like a cop or something or a spy, this is just somebody plucked off the streets. And isn't of, isn't John McClane? Isn't Die Hard a dude with problem story? It is a dude with a, so he's a cop, but it's really not his beat. You know what I mean? It's not really his beat. It's, you it's know? not his world. Yeah. It's not his world. Like yeah. like a Jedi Knight getting swept into Darth Vader's problem is a different story yeah. than um, than uh, a cop from. Tatooine or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. through the pump. That Just a little be an awesome Star Wars. Yeah, there you movie, go. Uh, the yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, so, so um, the second part: a sudden event that thrusts our innocent into the world of hurt, and it comes without warning. Okay, so some sudden event happens, and now they're in the world. Okay, now they're in the. See problem. where you're going with all this, Jamie. Yes, and the third one is a life or death battle is at stake. And the continued existence of an individual, family, group, or society is in question. Okay? So, this movie fits all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, here's one of the things I found through using these patterns. I, they're not as good for classifying movies as they are for brainstorming. Like, the yes. thing I told you to do is... The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if you think this movie's a dude with a problem and that helps you... And think it's a dude with a problem. I don't care. You know, that if it helps you, it helps you. Um, but just because we come and do this podcast and we discuss this, I was like, you know, it is a dude with a problem, but it's also a monster in the house. So let me All give right. you the mon the monster in the house. And I'm instead of using the actual definition, a monster in the house has a monster, a house, and uh what's now a sin, a sin, a sin. Mm -hmm. uh, a sin that usually brings about the monster. So the house is the trap. It's it's some place. It's some geographical place. It could even be the world, like like a, something like Independence Day. The house is the world. It's the planet Earth. The whole planet. Um, yeah, and, and the monsters there, and usually some sin. Uh, and I, I say this one every week, but Poltergeist is the one I always use. Mm -hmm. They they built the houses. No, they removed the headstones. The, they yeah. removed the headstones. So they left the bodies. That's a sin. It brings about the the trouble in some ways sometimes it's more just like corporate greed like an alien mm -hmm. sent them there um mm -hmm. the monsters there corporate and greed. the heroes are like collateral damage for a sin they had nothing to do with sin they have nothing to do um, with um so this fits that as well uh, what's, so what's yeah what's the sin what's the sin uh yeah, i wanted to talk about i'm not i'm not exactly sure i and it's not because i didn't think it's there I just didn't didn't pay attention to that part of that this enough when I, I watched I'm it. I'm only asking because I'm trying to think right now. I yeah. have a pitch and then I have a quote. 
Okay. So, Why don't you give two, us your pitch? Two different that. things. My, they're, di- yeah. they're, they're, they're different. I mean, getting a quote from the writer sort of tells us, but uh, uh, so I thought it was about, I thought that the sin was like not standing up for very similar to uh, Chris allowing himself to be marginalized and get out, mm-hmm. um, which is not standing up for yourself and allowing yourself mm-hmm. to be bullied in the go to the classroom scene, which is, something that like the three of us have taught i don't think that's codified outside of this podcast it's something Mm -hmm. we talk about which is there's a scene usually in a classroom with a chalkboard where like the theme is stated on Mm -hmm. the nose and saying to the audience here's what the theme is you know and then we we see that played out um the trials and tribulations that give meaning to that theme and here we have a very clear um go to the classroom scene which is in the bathroom after he just saw that little guy his friend beat up the big bully and we've seen finn finn allow himself to be bullied and that kid says to finn like one of these days you're gonna have to learn to stand up for yourself and i think that that's basically the whole movie is an exploration of that which is like there's so many ways like you get finn versus bruce in the beginning like he's intimidated by the batter and he allows himself to be intimidated and overpowered and the batter hits a home run. Then we see Moose, the big bully versus the little guy, Robin, um, who it's sort of like a micro snapshot of what the whole movie is about, right? This little guy in a bloody battle versus a big bully and he overcomes them. Then we have Finn and Gwen versus their dad, who's like an emotional bully. Um, And then we have uh, Finn versus that gang in the bathroom right and then we have gwen versus the detectives detectives are bullying his sister it's all about allowing and she's she's the one who's constantly fighting back so she doesn't need to learn the lesson um but i think the sin is about that but cargill has there's a great article look it up on creativescreenwriting.com where he talks about all sort of their decisions going into this talking about the adaptation and sort of expanding on what the, what the movie's about. And he said, the resiliency of youth is the principal theme we're exploring in film, but we also dip our toes into the layer of awfulness that coded the childhoods of the seventies and early eighties. Those are times we remember uh, rather than sugarcoated nostalgia. Our youth was ugly tinged by a racist homophobic society in which discipline was indistinguishable from abuse. And we wanted to explore that. So, yeah. So, um, it's so just, just to kind of piggyback on yours. So, if you're doing a save the cat, if you're into save the cat, there's a beat called theme stated. So, the go to the classroom, the theme stated, it's the same thing. And a lot of people come to me and they ask me, like, they get stuck on theme stated a little bit. If you know your character's arc, that means they have a flaw that needs to change, right? Right. So basically the theme state of moment is some other character calls them out on that flaw. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what that bathroom scene is. You got to stand up for yourself. That's yeah. usually what the theme stated scene is, you know, yeah. you got to stop lying. You got to be nicer, yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to start caring about somebody other than yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so usually if you're, <laughs> if you're trying to figure out what your theme stated is, show your hero, uh, Show your hero's flaw, show it in a scene, and then have somebody call them out on it. Like say, here's what you need. And that's usually your theme stated scene. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that's my yep. quick aside. Um, yeah. 
Here's the only weird thing about that. I don't know. Maybe this is just personal to me. But you got to stand up for yourself. Um, I think it's because I was raised in that generation. And I hated I hated that. Yeah. You know, I, I it's a false theme to me. Like, like <laughs> when I was getting bullied, I didn't need somebody to say, punch him back. That's not the right answer to that, is it? It, I don't it know doesn't. If it is. To, I, I don't read it. To me, if that is, we're, we were talking about the sin, that doesn't read like a sin to me. Yeah. Yeah. It, re, it reads like a character arc. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. read like, I, I don't know. It does like. Well, here's another quote. And, 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 it is. I agree with you, Jamie. It's sort of saying might makes right. Yeah. Um, which I yeah. don't like. Um, yeah. even though I like watching that play out, it's sure. very engaging. Well, sure. It's, yeah. Like it's, if I'm in a situation and it's I have real, it's realistic. I'm just. I don't saying, think I don't I'm like, a better person yeah. if I choose to. I don't like calling it a sin. I don't like calling it the sin. That's the. Yeah. So, so Bob, to your yeah. point, let's let's. I'll dig into one more quote, and maybe yeah, yeah. this will sure. sort of expand the discussion on this. Yeah. Um. So they're talking about why, what the grabber is and how it expresses like what we just talked about. So right. Cargill said, the grabber is the child of trauma, much like Finney and Gwen. He allowed his trauma to transform him into a monster. He has ritualized his killings, hinting at a similar previous abuse that makes him what he is. He is a monster meant to be deconstructed, hinting at his past only through subtext and strange statements. But if you pull all, all the threads he leaves behind, he becomes pretty understandable. So maybe it's more childhood trauma. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. It could be it's like also sounds like a generational thing, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From that generation. Right? Yeah. It, could, it could be like because cycle you know, of violence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In, in a weird sort of way that hit him back as part of the problem and to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And his, and his, his dad. uh his dad, like what his dad's doing is the same thing that the grabber's father presumably. You need to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and then what what's the game that the grabber plays? Bad kitty or something? Bad. The naughty boy. Naughty boy. Yeah. Naughty so, boy, right. So it so I think all of that is probably where the sin lies. Um it, it probably is in there for sure. Uh mm -hmm. it's, it's so none of us have figured it out. It's uh Yeah. It's well, also interesting that hear me out too. It's sure. interesting that the sin of the grabber was obviously created in his childhood from some sort of abuse by his family. Mm -hmm. But his brother seems not only completely divorced from that, he doesn't seem to change. He doesn't seem to affect the grabbers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like his brother just doesn't seem like he's part of that sin at all. You know, like he yeah. came from a different world. That's interesting. But he well, still loves he his brother. He is coked up. He is coked up. He's You're numbing right. he is the doing pain, dude. He's doing a lot of coke. Right. So, yeah. right. Yeah. so there is that. Yeah. I'm not. I, that wasn't a criticism. I'm just saying it's noticeable. Yeah. It's that a is, bit. It's a bit. Not on. Not clear. Yeah. It's not yeah. clear. No. It's fine that it's not clear. And I, maybe I the go to the classroom then is more about just Finn. But right. again, I, I I'm with you, Jamie. I do like the stand up for yourself, but the might makes right part. But in the situation, it's primal right. danger. He's got to beat the shit out of him, yeah, in order yeah. to escape. So it's it, we get it. But I find yeah. it odd that the ghosts don't more recommend the whole whole part of it, the hole that he falls in. Like uh, that's not the the end recommendation of the ghosts. It's the phone hitting thing. Mm -hmm. where I'm like, right? He made the. Why yeah. didn't they recommend the thing that? Yeah. worked way better <laughs> uh, like, well i think they were i know gonna speak I know. to it later yeah yeah the uh so one more thing about this genre thing 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, interestingly enough, and uh, I have a, this is, um, I, so I've worked with these for, for a project that will soon be announced. Um, I've worked with Ooh. these, these, yes, uh, mysterious teas. I've, I've done some work with these genres. And what I realized was, and this goes back to my computer science days in some ways, because in computer science, there's this notion of inheritance. So inheritance means like you could create a class. Um, I'm gonna I'm about to give a computer science lesson. <laughs> and create a class. And let's that's say- That's why a, we're here. That's right. Let's say a class is a vehicle, right? And then a vehicle could be a bike. It could be a car. So um, your second class inherits from the class vehicle, uh, whatever its things are. And then it becomes a bike, a car, you know, something like that. Maybe, maybe you have wheeled vehicles, then cars. Maybe there's something else. Sled is in the non-wheeled or something. But anyway, this is this makes it more confusing. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> all, all I'm really trying we're with to you, say, we're with you. Okay. All I'm really trying to say is I'm taking I, notes. I think monster in the house inherits from dude with a problem in my computer science brain. Mm -hmm. I think all monster in the house are dude with a problem stories. Um with a little touch of something i don't i think they i think if you have a monster in the house it could theoretically be declared a dude with a problem story and i think inherently there are a lot of is what you're saying inherently dude or in, dudette, yeah yes i think they share the same all monster in the house monster houses share all the same things that dude dude or dudette with the problem stories have is what i'm saying and um just to give you an example like the thing i was doing I made like a little quiz to figure out what your story is. And I'm like, does your story have an innocent hero? Does it have a sudden, you know, it was that kind of thing. And it was like, go to question seven, you know, and then you go to question <laughs> seven. And what I realized was when, cause I ran this through like, uh, you know, a million times with a bunch of movies in my head. And I had to ask if you were a dude with a problem first. And then I'd say, is there a sin that brings about the monster? You know, and I had to do yeah. that after <laughs> to, to determine if it was a monster in the house. So, so my first determination in my algorithm was, are you a dude with a problem? Yes. Well, do you have a monster? Do you have a house? Do you have a sin? You know, and it was that kind of thing. So I think that's kind of where my head was around this genre thing when I was thinking. No, it's an interesting discussion on, and especially yeah. with this movie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So anyway. That's all I wanted to say on that. Oh, yeah. And the other one, just one more thing it does share with Monster in the House is the half man. This has oh, yeah. got like your prototypical yeah, you're right. half man character, which is like, you know, it's your Quint from Jaws. It's the the person who's either survived the monster from a past encounter or has um, extensive knowledge of the monster that no one else in the story has. And they're like the harbinger and they the half kids. And this is, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. the half kids. I was like, this is a cool half man. And it's premise specific. Like mm -hmm. it, the, this is a, these is, the half men or the child ghosts of the grabber victims is something we could only see like in this movie with this premise. So it's a nice, right. it's a nice, another instructive thing that this movie does that you can learn from. So I, I didn't want to forget about that. No, it's, that's one of the coolest aspects of the movie. Mm -hmm. Easy. Yeah. Um, I feel like we kind of have touched on tension yeah, a little bit so, already. I'll, I'll tell you what this one was. Is this uh, the medium discussion? About this is, this, this yeah. is the medium. medium. <laughs> this is the medium thing? So okay. my, my issue with medium is, um, so every week she'd have a problem, right? And every week as the writer decided when to dole out the information, the writer would have her dream. 
-hmm. and she would solve the mystery. And it was kind of like the writer could say she dreams the whole thing in the beginning or in the end or withhold the information. But basically, it was really up to when the writer decided she was going to dream and figure out the mystery that she'd figure out the mystery. She could never control the dreams. She could never control the dreams. And 90% of what she figured out was based on the dreams. I mean, she figured out a little nuances like, I don't quite understand. She talked to ghosts in the real world, too. Yeah. But it was it was like whenever the writer chose that made that made right. the most sense in the moment yeah. right so it it tends to make for um a little bit of passivity and a little bit of predictableness in some ways because you know the dreams aren't going to screw her over because that would just be horrible for the show right if all of a sudden the dreams were Started complete lies <laughs> yeah and they were they were just dream real dreams and she was like following the clues and getting everything wrong That'd be horrible for an episodic show, or maybe it would be great if it was a comedy. Um, so, <laughs> it, it, I I kind of, <laughs> you, it kind of made the idea. Oh my god! Me. Like a full triumphant medium who has <laughs> who just has dreams. <laughs> like imagine Lloyd and Harold and Lloyd as mediums. Holy right, right. shit! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. They just start. You know, they're they're on some new drug and it's causing them. <laughs> the have ghosts lots of weird are like things. just like trying so hard to get them to help them solve the thing, yeah. but they're so dumb. <laughs> they're so dumb. <laughs> uh, so, um, so the my problem with my one nitpick with this movie is the kid basically the hero of this movie basically is just doing what he's told and not really doing a lot of clever problem solving on his own and not really doing things to initiate the phone calls. You know what I mean? Like there's no, so to me, it takes away some of the tension of the movie. I know eventually he's going to get out. uh, And I kind of know how he's going to get out. They're eventually going to tell him how to get out or something. It, I don't, that, I don't know. Anyway, I think, that, I, think that was my the, I think the execution kind of fills in those holes a bit because the actual performance of the kid is very determined. Like the performance mm-hmm. yeah. that the kid gives yes. feels like he 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 doesn't have the answers, but he's absolutely down to yeah. figure this out and get yeah. out of here. Yeah. But I think there is writing craft that sort of I think they're aware of what you're saying, Jamie. Like yeah, there's yeah. two. There's mm-hmm. I'll say the one thing, and then the next two topics sort of address that very problem mm-hmm. because I agree with you in, mm-hmm. in the, the point you just made. There was a nice right smack in the middle of the story. I think they were acknowledging it wasn't like an insecurity line, but I think they were trying to throw us off balance. Um, and that is they they tried to create um, tension around the trustworthiness of the messengers, mm-hmm. which is uh, the dad is basically trying to convince the sister that she is not having psychic visions, even though he knows she might actually be having psychic visions because those psychic visions then led her mother to follow their instructions and basically kill herself. Mm-hmm. So, so the movie is like taking this like two minute scene and raising the stakes for the like, almost like uh, reliable narratorness mm-hmm. of the ghosts who are behind this and I think they they were trying to plant the seed that maybe the messages that she's getting in the dreams and maybe the messages that Finn is getting aren't trustworthy. And right. I think that that was a nice little like extra sizzle on the stake there to be like, hold on, maybe just I think it was just enough. But not only that, the next topic, 
mm-hmm. which is the premise specific tactics. And then later when we'll talk about the choices, I think there's enough there to kind of earn that little bit of agency. Cause I agree with you, Jamie. So l- let's just go into it. Like, um, when you're trying to figure out like how your character is going to overcome their conflicts, you want to make a whiteboard of all the different ways they could get out of, they they could like get out of the situation they find themselves in, but you want to do it in a way that you could only see in this movie. So like my favorite example of there two, two, two favorite examples of a premise specific tactic that we could only see in the movies is Jurassic park, when Dr. Grant is like, stay absolutely still. The T-Rex is like right in front of them. Their vision is based on movement. That is a tactic that is so specific to the movie. And they really did the whiteboarding. Like, how are the ways that we could show avoiding the surviving a dinosaur when you're like face to face with the T-Rex? And then Chris and Get Out, when he tears out the cotton from the chair, and puts the cotton in his ears. That is a tactic that is so specific to that movie. If you if you put that that tactic in another movie, it's not special. If you put it in this movie, it's like it expresses the movie in one little right. snapshot. It's perfect. So I really appreciated like how they took like well Finn has like nothing to work with. Mm-hmm. How is he gonna get out of the situation and all those things? Like Jamie, he was following the advice of the ghosts, but there's always if you, I don't know when, when you saw it last, but like, there's a hiccup in every one of the, in every one of the ghosts, uh, instructions, it doesn't doesn't go as planned. Right. And so he is being told what to do, but it's not that easy. And Finn always has to go like the extra mile and be like, shit, like now I have this tool that the ghosts have helped me discover, but it's not working the way that it was. So they show how he like, okay, I got to pick up the, the, the rope isn't, I'm not able to get it on the window. I got to pick up this roll of carpet. Like the ghost didn't tell him to pick up the rope and he puts it under the, the ghost rope. told him to try to go through the freezer. In the end though, he goes, you know what? I can use that meat to distract the dog. Right. That's him. It, that's him. It's not but also, the, yeah. but also that in like to that, that one, the toilet, right? They got the ghost, like get to the back panel of the toilet and unscrew it. Well, he can unscrew it. So he pay, takes a piece of the toilet apart and uses it and like uses a screwdriver. That. So yeah, he does that's have like, some. Yeah. That's like a nice little moment of like mm-hmm. premise specific mm-hmm. tactics. They really did a whiteboard. They're like, okay, we gotta, he's gotta unscrew a screw. What the hell is he is he gonna do that we could only see in this room? And he MacGyvered, right? It's like wh- what it's that exercise we've talked about before. Like, what is your character and your movie's version of MacGyvering the shit out of this? <laughs> like how do you make your character look like MacGyver based on the scenario they find themselves in? And that, that exercise is going to get you to a lot of different things. So, and I really liked my favorite tactic. I wanted to point out before we get to the not so secret weapon, my favorite one and the ghost, they did a whole whiteboard with the ghosts guys. Like the ghosts are using very specific tactics to gain his trust, right? They're finding familiarity with him. So he trusts what they're saying. They're, they're spinning the bottle that he has in front of them to right, point him right. in the direction. They're doing very specific tactics that are like very clever and we can only see in this situation. But my favorite one is they do a premise pretzel, Jamie, where they don't let the phone ring because they don't want to wake up the grabber. The grabber is asleep and they need to talk to Finn. So they show themselves to Finn for the first time 
And he's like, holy shit. And then they point to the phone and he picks it up and it isn't ringing. So because they don't want to wake up the grabbers, that was a nice premise right, pretzel. The, that was the a, door is open and everything. The door so. is open. The grabber's yeah. asleep. The grabber has been set up that he can hear the phone ring. So they don't want to wake him up. So they don't ring the phone. And it's a nice reversal. So that was that they definitely took the time. That was a whiteboarding. They took the time. They're like, how can we make this different than all the other phone rings? You know, so I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. That's really that's good, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. So not so secret weapons. <laughs> so this I knew going into it that the not so secret weapon was going to be the black phone. I just mm-hmm. didn't know how we were going to get there. <laughs> right, right. And, that, and that's in the short story as well. You that's know, that, awesome. That is one of the cool things about the short story. So, so the not so secret weapon. Do you want to set it up, Jamie, or do you want me to set it up? It doesn't matter. Oh, uh, feel free. You can you can give it a a run. So it's basically like, uh, it's a specialized person, place, or thing that the hero it's set up in the beginning and. When it's done well, it's not obvious. It's like really subtle. And then it comes back in the end and the hero uses it to succeed, to overcome their obstacles. So some some examples, Luke using the force to blow up the Death Star in Star Wars, crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, the oxygen tank in Jaws, the Ripley's loader, uh, Cecilia using the invisibility suit we saw like 10 minutes into the thing to beat the invisible man, um, the mud camouflage in Predator, um, the dead and buried alt verse Doctor Strange in Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, and most recently, we didn't talk about it on the Nope episode, but the Nope, nope has two back to back. The well camera is a not so secret weapon and the giant balloon jupe is a not so secret weapon. So it actually uses two in the same moment. Um, but I am since we've been doing the show and since we've come up with this, I am convinced it is a crucial ingredient to the cheeseburger movie. I literally see it in everything now. Like, I'm like, there it is. It's set up payoff, but it's so specialized. It's, it is it, the setup payoff. Yeah, it's like the ultimate setup payoff. Yeah, yeah. It's, really yeah. It. it's like but you like, can't have a cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah, it's the checkoffs. It's the setup, the main one. It's like you can't have a cheeseburger movie without a not so secret weapon. Right, right. Um, and this one is, I love this dialogue. I had to, I was like, I got to say this. Uh, Robin, the ghost says, since I can't kill him, you're going to have to do it for me. And Finn says, how? He says, you're going to use a weapon. Not just any weapon, the not so secret weapon, the black phone itself. Fill it with dirt. And that is a tactic we could only see in this movie, right? So it's it's another great example of premise delivery, like giving us. Yeah. Yeah. Here's so here's one of the things like and again, they made their choice. But this is a spot where sometimes You'd see the hero do it without the magic. So he'd figure out, I'm going to use this fucking phone. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't know what weapon, what? And he looks at it and like, I'm going to do it. You know, so so he finally makes, he doesn't need the ghosts anymore. He's got his own mind to use it. Um, That's kind of what I mean by like, they could have done that, but they didn't. They didn't really. But sometimes the last one is the one they do it without the magic. They kind of figure it out. It's like the the trap, I guess. You the angels in the outfield thing, right? Like the angels, yeah. Really so far, and you got to win championships on your own. That's yeah. Right. That's yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, do <laughs> right. it without them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean he does do it without the magic. Yeah, the tra- they're not the fighting him. Nice. They're not fighting. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. He could have came to that realization. Yeah, he could have like himself. he could have taken what they taught the weapon him thing and yeah. and been like, now I'm gonna figure it out 
on my own. You know, I'm going to do it because I, I think they did, you could argue that he did do that, right? Like he took all those things and I, he made the trap. They just no, didn't but romance. I agree it. with Jamie that the moment might have been cooler of him, like us being with him and realizing what he has to do with all, yeah. with all that he has, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's that a good moment. point. So, yeah. you, so you sort of miss the gathering, the team of that whole trap because they just tease it. They don't show you. Right. Like, like he, yeah. him realizing like, okay, I've got the hole over here. I've got yeah. the phone. I'm going to fill it with dirt. The, the Rambo, the Rambo montage think, of him. Dun, 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 like even, even if you just, you pared it down to just them not telling him to fill the phone with dirt or use the phone. Yeah. Say so you need a right. weapon, and then he comes to the realization: I got to make the phone heavier, right? So I can right. hit with it. You know. Yeah, it probably would have worked just as well. Yeah. 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 I think it would have just been that. Anyway, that that's kind of what I'm mentioning. What it'd be a little bit more that, fun. That, that goes back to your problem with the medium, right? Ghost right. doing I, all the heavy lifting. All the heavy lifting. I, I, I think there are ways to figure it out, and that way he would have been delivered to this moment because of all the help the ghost gave him. But yeah. then we'd see him kind of. You know, they let him go and he flies. Sort of, you know, sort of, sort of aspect. <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit. If I, uh, it's like signs. The moment they realize that it's water, it's and not, not a secret weapon, right? Right, but it's like it's, we see the way it's executed is we see in um, Hawkwing Phoenix's uh, like eyes that he's realizing mm -hmm. why it's all been like it has been. Yeah, and that I don't know. That might have been like a kind of moment you could construct here. It's a bit more heroic. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good, fine. good it's, call. It's good, good call, Jamie. Yeah, no, it's so it, good. I, it's they just... do make it a little easier for him with the ghost, I, like training him. You know, the yeah. rock. He's I, gonna swing, swing, swing. Yeah, I and I do. I mean, not not to take away. I I love the phone as the weapon kind Me of too. idea. I mean, yeah, it's really totally, good. totally. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it, it works. I think it's an execution thing. It mm -hmm. is a writing thing, but I think it's all. It, I'm thinking about cinematically that moment happening. Then the music kind of swelling up as he realizes and everything. That's what we were. That's what we were robbed of a little bit. Dun, dun, dun. Right. Well, not, well, not that big, but you know what I mean. Like him just realizing it would have been a nice moment. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Um. Does that does that kind of bring us into dilemmas of meaning, meaningful choice? Yeah, yeah. So this is this is another. I I. Uh, so so I'm constantly. And Jamie, I, tell me if you if you can bounce off of this with your own experience. I'm constantly reading scripts where uh, there are no dilemmas. So you know, I talk about I've talked about the the treasure hunt, um, where it's just like they get the map, they get in the they get in the boat, they go across the sea. I drop my thing. <laughs> Jimmy dropped. His whole computer, he's okay. My headset came off. That's great. See, I had there a complication. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I made the... a I made a meaningful choice to keep fucking talking, even though you couldn't hear me. <laughs> the good news, bad news thing right there. <laughs> so so they get they 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 got the map, they get in they get in the ship, they cross the sea, they get to the island, and they get uh there and the treasure's there, and that's the whole movie. And the writer thinks, well, like look at all the stuff that happened and all that stuff is really cool and cinematic. And, and, and there's like so many reasons why that's a boring experience. And one of them is they didn't have to be like, okay, well, we only have uh, one can of food left and there's five of us. Like, how are we going to ration this food? Like somebody is more sick than the other. Somebody might not be able to eat. Oh shit. 
now we don't have any food like and this person just died they could be food like but then we'd be eating them like they there are no there are no dilemmas that characters have to face in order to get the treasure and so i think this is a great example of the character being faced with dilemmas and making meaningful choices. So, so I wanted to break down just a couple examples of Finn's choices that he makes that I think are, are, are powerful, which is the first one is here's you're locked in this basement. You, you see this phone and the cord is ripped off. It's, it's a dead phone and it starts ringing. <laughs> are you going to answer it? What the hell is going to happen if you do, right? This is weird. It's a meaningful choice to answer the phone. Then uh, you're talking to quote unquote ghosts. Are you really, or are they working with the killer? You don't really know. It's a meaningful choice to follow their instructions, right? You're faced with a dilemma. I could ignore their instructions. And if I ignore their instructions, I'm at the same place that I started. I'm not any closer to getting out of here. If I follow their instructions, those instructions might not be, they might be working against me. And so it's a meaningful choice to follow the instructions. And then the, the grabber leaves the door open and the movie plays with this choice over and over. Uh, do I walk upstairs? If I walk upstairs, these ghosts have just told me it's a trap and he's going to beat me to death. If I don't walk upstairs, I may miss out on my one opportunity. Maybe he slipped up and this is my one opportunity to escape. And I'm just staring at it and not doing anything about it. So it's a meaningful choice. There's also uh, power in showing a person choosing not to do something. That's just as powerful as a choice to do something. Um, and then uh, choosing to walk upstairs when the ghosts say he's asleep. So there's like uh, there's layers to that. He's choosing to trust the ghosts once again. He's choosing their intel, even though they're fucking dead. Um, he's choosing to risk his life and literally walk past. He's choosing to follow the ghost's advice that this, this lock is going to work, right? This combination on the door is going to work. So there's three or four meaningful choices just in that situation. So it's just a great example of how you can create dilemmas and show your care. It, show, it shows how your character is growing and changing, right? Like Finn, when we meet him, he would be, he would probably be too afraid to do any of those things and and we're show by showing the choices that he's making you're showing how the character is growing and changing right. yeah so did anybody wish that he chose to just just slowly get a kitchen knife out and just slide it right into his neck as he was sleeping because <laughs> that's the only thing i could think about in that whole scene oh man he just slide it into his neck you know you know, th this choice discussion, it seems simple and stuff like that. But I'll say even for me, um, I think, you know, this is something I can apply to my writing today that'll level it up a lot. And I'll tell you why. Because um, a lot of the writing I do, I almost don't give the hero a choice. Like I, I push them into uncomfortable situations, which is level one, right? Like they have to go in the haunted house or they will die. You know what I mean? But if you can give them choices where they have to go in the haunted house, but the alternative is bad, but maybe they won't, they don't have to go into it. Maybe they do have a choice. Maybe right. they, it's a good idea to go in the haunted house, but it's risky versus to choose this other thing. It shows a lot more about their character. Cause on the mm -hmm. one hand, you just have a gun to their head and you're like, go in the haunted house. Mm -hmm. But if you can 
if you could somehow pull that gun away, you know, there's a gun that something has to be done. You know, something has to be done. They can either not go or go, and either one's going to have bigger ramifications in the macro. But I, I think there's a lot of value, like, like people can level up their writing today just by really going through their outlines or whatever and focusing on um, making things more of a dilemma, make, giving characters two bad choices mm-hmm. and having them choose because that shows character. Yeah. Also, uh, to add a level to sort of what Jimmy was saying, he's also choosing to listen to voices that have been abusive to him. Yes. He, he has to actually trust, you know, trust people. Abusers. Of. Yeah. 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 That's that's true. And yeah, and very weird. Um, it's a very weird part of the scene. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, I forgot to mention, or maybe this is the good time. So that so um, I've been, I've late recently, I've kind of codified this like we try to do in this show to help some of my clients kind of like put this into action. Um in other episodes we've talked about uh and jamie i believe this is coming from you the before and after snapshot and the photo finish and those things uh you you and we a great a great recent example is the bat is the batman where you know his before and after shot uh snapshots are very dramatically different and they show the level of change um and that's a really good way to diagnose whether you've done the work um to do to earn the arc right and and a lot of times i will um so i i've codified this recently for my clients as the old way new way exercise instead of before and after old way new way and the old way is the wrong way and the new way is the right way and so when we meet them they should be going the the old way the wrong way and then we need some jamie i'm using your term we need some whiffs of change in between we need mm-hmm. some old way approaches and then we need some new way approaches and then we need steps back to the old way approaches and then ultimately that'll earn the new way mm-hmm. um and so like in in back to the future uh george's growing pains george has a really big dramatic step back right he's he's making the plan to punch biff and all this stuff but in the moment that he has to do it he chickens out for a second and biff is like doing exactly what they feared Biff would do. And he's, he's taking advantage of Lorraine. And then he has the big moment of growth and change and punches, punches Biff. So having those steps backwards is really impactful to earn the step forward. And um, I'll, I'll get this. This movie has great examples of the old way, new way, the old way. When we meet Finn, he's getting beat up and he, there's a few scenes before that, but he's getting beat up. He's allowing himself to be bullied and, you know, we hear Robin say, you, you're going to have to learn to stand up for yourself. Then when he's locked up, here's the whiffs of change. When he's locked up in the basement, he starts to take springs out of the bed and be like, all right, I'm going to get into gear and get myself to escape. And he talks himself out of escaping. He literally says, if Robin can't do it, I can't do it either. So he's like, I'm not I'm not strong enough to do this. And then when he manages to escape the house, he has the chance to scream. All the lights are flickering on. He has the chance to scream and save himself, but the grabber is, is threatening his life and he's too afraid. So once again, he takes a step back. That's the old way, right? That's old Finn in that crucial moment. Here's old Finn again. And then, and then even with the, the dark night of the soul, like he, he, he bashes the toilet into the wall 
and he can't get through the fr- the freezer and he starts crying. He breaks down and then he has that conversation with Robin and he's like, I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. And Robin's like, yes, you can. Like, remember what I told you? You're going to have to stand up for yourself someday. Except Finn says that I'm going to have to stand up for myself. And he's like, today is that day. And then they show us the new way, which is he literally stands up to the bully, outsmarts him and beats him to death. So this is a great example of using that old way, new way exercise to really earn the art. Because a lot of times I'll read a script and someone's like, here's what the arc is supposed to be. And then I look at the old way, new way stuff. And I'm like, well, in the old way, he's that your character, he or she, your character is behaving exactly the same as they are in the end. Or that new way comes like 20 minutes in all this. They're, they're learning to use the force 20 minutes into right. the script. They arc so too they, soon. So they've arced yeah. right away. Or the, the new way is no better than the old way. So this is, if, if you kind of take a, like you said, go through that outline, Jamie, and kind of look, are, are my characters sort of showing these little growing pains, these whiffs of change to earn that moment of that big climactic new way? Or is it just beat sheet execution where you have like two moments and one in the beginning, one in the end, and there's nothing in between. So this is a great example, a great example to learn from for that. Very cool. Then think about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Old way, new way. Uh, Jimmy, you brought this thing to us like yesterday, right? This uh, yeah. Robert Cargill's How to Write a Horror Movie Crash Course. Yeah. So Cargill. Over. Yeah. So Cargill. Um, uh, two notable things for listeners. If you're not familiar with him, see Robert Cargill. Um, and maybe it's cargo. I don't know. Jamie, you're right. The pronunciation. I'm like, I've never actually. No, it's it's so simple that it has to be that way. But <laughs> I, I, I'm know. pretty sure it's right. That's right. Yeah. So and it's funny. I've listened to the pot, his podcast that I'm going to talk about. So two things about him. Um, he is active. He is really active on Twitter and he often tweets about the craft, specifically the craft of horror writing. And he also has a podcast, a screenwriting podcast. And I think it's it's a, it's for novelists, too, and short story writers called Write Along. And there's like 70 episodes. And I've listened to quite a few of them. And they're really bite-sized, unlike our show. They're like 18 to 20 minutes each. And they basically just talk about one technique for the whole episode. And there's even a technique on horror. There's even an episode on horror writing that's really good. It's episode 22. So check that out of right along um you know yeah i wanted to say too my i being someone who in the early aughts was literally obsessed with any cool news mm-hmm. to me right. robert c robert cargill was mazaworm yeah and that was a huge part of my like mm-hmm. upbringing with yeah film criticism because he was like maybe he was like the best critic on there him, him <laughs> the and, one who could actually write real well film criticism. him and drew mcweeney are yeah, kind of the two, good you know, too yeah there were the two yeah. that always stood yeah. out to me yeah right that I that's why I will always forever associate him with no matter how many yeah. movies he writes. And I actually think that's his Twitter handle. Um Master his yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is. His yeah. his ain't it cool uh handle. Yeah. Um so he tweeted out and he's tweeted this out several times, but uh he tweeted out his writing prompts for creating his horror stories. Um and I thought it would be fun for the three of us to kind of mind the movie for examples of how he uses that in this they're really simple they're Ill- really easy um it just brains if you just look it up too you can get this list or you could just ask me if you want to i'll just give it to you um 
Uh, this is Robert Cargill's How to Write a Horror Movie Crash Course. Um, and he has how many? Let's see. He has eight, eight right? prompts um, yeah. or just eight guidelines to, to inspire. It's, it's like Jamie, like we talk, like Jamie always talks about. These things are to help you brainstorm. They're not rules. It's just one one more tool in the tool shed. If you don't um, do this, your movie will suck. Yeah, Jesus, this guy and his rules. <laughs> um, this was what he said with the tweet. He said, everyone needs to start somewhere. These are the points I start with. So number one, if you want to scare, make us care. The characters are the most important part. If we care about them, we'll get scared for them. Write interesting or likable characters, preferably both. Notice he doesn't say they must be likable, which is an important distinction we talk about a lot, which is like just because a character is quote unquote unlikable doesn't mean they're not engaging. Joker, rooting influencers, 19 rooting influencers in the first 15 pages. So right. um, what are, what do you guys think are some of the examples about the creating the likable characters in I, this movie? I, I, You know, this, this character to me, like sitting apart from watching it, it's not like, one of the Greek characters that I loved is it's kind of a simple character. He's likable enough. Mm -hmm. um, I think he has a lot of those rooting resume check marks. Mm -hmm. Like he's bullied is he's, he's, he's bad. Been, he, he's, he yeah, likes he's, sister. He's and, yeah. yeah. So I think it, I think it has a lot of checkbox um, rooting resume material. So he's definitely likable. I think, definitely. I think it works craft wise. It, he doesn't stand out to me as like one of the great horror movie characters or something. Cause I, I think aside from that, he's kind of a an everyman sort of archetype. Yeah, he's a bit, of a, he's a bit of a shell. Yeah, to be mm -hmm. filled right. They, yeah, they, they they did the thing where they didn't make him like the geeky kid who was getting be right the ordinary kid who the world's kind of picking on, and he's mm -hmm. trying to live his life. And the uh, one bit of like uniqueness is he likes watching horror movies. Yeah, right. even though they scare him. Even though yeah. they scare him, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they they do a little bit of things that need fixing. There's a girl in class who watches him at the game and she's he fails in front of her and then he sees right, her. Right. He mm -hmm. sees she sees him get beat up and then she's he's in class and he's looking at her and she looks at him and looks away. They do these little things like so like that's a thing that needs fixing relationship wise. And um, you know, he's a they, they set up that he tutors that guy Robin with math. So that's mm -hmm. a nice little mm -hmm. rooting resume. He's smart and he's helpful. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um. They do a bunch with Gwen too, the sister. But uh. Yeah. Um. Number two, I think this is a good one. Is uh, right. It seems obvious, but it's really important. Uh. Number two, write what scares you. What scares you scares others. Like, uh, how do you think this movie taps into that? Yeah, and this this probably goes back to the Joe Hill of it all, because in some ways he was probably the originator of the right what scares you. But right. You know, so so the uh, stranger danger grabber kind sure. of thing. Um, certainly, if you were a kid of that era or any era, uh, if you grew up, that scares you. It scares you as a parent. It scared you growing up. Um, and to take it back to that era is definitely something that would resonate with me personally. But also mm -hmm. like claustrophobia. You know, being detained, being ghosts, ghosts. Yeah. Like, what kid is? I mean, most kids are even right to down ghosts. to scary masks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, if that's that freaks you out, that's a great movie. If you're scared of scary smiles. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. They like manifested a lot of the different childhood fears. Childhood fears. Yeah. It is, it is a great mask. I think I read Tom it Savini is. made it. 
Cool. Oh, really? It's amazing. It's, awesome. yes, yes. it's so it's so unusual about Tom Savini. I and I'm gonna say this not knowing a ton about him recently, but I kind of remember he retired, right? He mostly retired. He did he doesn't mm-hmm. do like effects for movies, but every now and then he'll come back and make a mask for something. Like uh there was a wrestler who had a mask, uh, and and he made it and it was a really cool looking mask <laughs> that the guy used to wrestle with. It was kind of like what he did in some ways for uh for this movie he and still got I, it i also yeah. like that this movie had like three variations on it right yeah like, they were the one put, that's like, that was a nice fresh mask killer thing when yeah and it the shows that the killer's changed. been doing it so long that he needed yeah. variations on the yeah. different things it's right. that's a good that's a good call bob i really yeah. like that yeah i didn't yeah. thought about that that's fresh i like that yeah um yeah it's that nightmare prompt i've talked about the nightmare fuel before like there's the two prompts that i do when I'm coming up with ideas for my character and sometimes just my story is ask yourself for the character, like I'll do anything you need me to do to achieve the goal, except the one thing you need me to do, which is face my fears. And answering that question is really going to help you like figure out what this movie is about. And in this case, they definitely explore all that childhood trauma stuff. And then uh, another one I do that's related to this, the prompt is, how could the worst thing that ever happened to your character end up being the best thing that ever happened to your character? And exploring that question has to do a lot with the nightmare fuel. How does the nightmare fuel make your character grow and change? So this is a great right. example of that. And really all horror movies, all do dudettes with the problem are an exploration of that. Um, uh, number th- So Cargill's number three on the horror crash course. Make sure something scary happens every 10 pages or so. Any longer and the audience forgets they're in a horror film. Jamie, I I know you have experience with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, you know how we said there aren't rules. This is one of those rules that some producers and studios actually have and they insist upon. Like, And the first place I heard about it, of all places, was Sam Raimi. I actually (laughs) heard Ghost House had, the, the first place I encountered it, I think, was Ghost House. I think they were like, we need a horror beat every 10 pages. But it turned out it wasn't really them. It was every, <laughs> everybody had it. It was just that was the first place I had somebody give me like, like they a, really went through to, to map out that there was one every 10 pages. Haven't you been hired to do scare passes before? Yep. Yep. And that too. And then so then what happens also if you're if your script doesn't adhere to this or maybe the 10 aren't so great, they'll hire people <laughs> like me to go and try to punch them up or do you know just write the gags so to speak yeah you're like a, you're like a comedian punching it's, it up with jokes yeah. it's like a joke punch except uh, it's the the scare beats doing a scare pass yep yeah um the, the, the one thing i always have trouble with is scare beat means a lot of different things to different yes. people like yep. is a jump scare or scare beat it's like oh i threw a cat at somebody on page 10 that's my scare beat <laughs> um i I kind of have a weird rule for myself about it. Like it has to be something premise specific, mm-hmm. scary. You know what I mean? Like it can't just be something else. It has to be something that really adheres and something that would only happen in a horror movie. You know, mm-hmm. that that's, that's kind of the way I, I kind of force myself down that path, but that's a good rule of thumb. I, I like to say that uh, the great jump scares are payoffs, not yes. like, like the alien egg opens up they're looking he's looking down on it and the jump scare is the thing bursts out into his fucking face right that's a that's a payoff jump scare it's not a yeah it's not a cheat so i i I remember and this movie isn't even that bad but no um, not that 
that no not that but the the do you remember the blair witch recent blair witch movie did you see that by chance i saw it in theaters with you jamie oh yeah (laughs) so so i remember it it was so chock full of jump scares it's the loudest movie i've ever seen yes so even somebody unzipping the tent was was a jump zip you know and it was like and it, it was I remember like, we so, walked out and we were all like, why was it so loud? For yeah. And, and I, maybe it wasn't even supposed to be like that. But I, I, the whole somebody time, in the, in the projection booth was like, yes. Yeah, yeah, it was like, right. it was like somebody would pop a soda and it was a jump scare. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're like, ah, because <laughs> <laughs> it was so loud. Um, maybe now that you say that, maybe that wasn't even intentional. Maybe they just over modulated the volume. I haven't something. watched it since then. I just remember how hilarious it was. Just how, like we were like getting like our ears punched by this movie and i was like I, is this necessary yeah <laughs> i i just thought they way overdid the james wan thing you know i thought they were yeah, just yeah, like yeah. um but, yeah. but speaking on the on laughs uh num- number four of cargill's horror crash course horror writing crash course be funny if and when you can not so much that you turn it into a comedy but that it's used as a tension release. The audience will reset and be ready to be scared again. Character humor works best here. So what are some examples in this, in this movie you think? I think that I love the, uh, the ghost that is the bully. (laughs) That's a a complete dickhead. And I love the fact that he didn't change in the afterlife. There's no like self-reflection or anything with his ghost. He's just still this complete, fucking piece of shit right right he's still he's still yelling at this kid like he is alive he has not changed at all to me that was funny but also it totally works with the premise doesn't take you Mm -hmm. out of it doesn't take and it's a nice little palate cleanser to how serious and mysterious the other ghosts were yeah i mean it's a good yeah there's there's some other like the brother we talked about, he's the brother, definitely his comic. The brother is fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. his cocaine. He's got man. a comic obsession with the murder. Yeah, right. That's happening <laughs> underneath of him. Yeah. Right. And a, it, this this does something a little different, the tension release. But Ethan Hawke's kind of funny in it in his own way. Totally. Totally, right? Yeah. But yeah. that almost makes it more creepy because, you know, there's some killer yeah. beneath it or something. He's got a sense of humor. He's doing a lot of sing song. He's, sing, he's sort of singing off in his lines. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, I liked my uh, two things I liked the with the use of this technique of uh, this this uh, prompt is the sister in the interrogation she calls the detectives fart knockers yeah. and she's like she's she's praying and she's like what the hell Jesus um, which I thought it was a funny thing to see a little girl like saying to Jesus what the hell um, <laughs> and that seems like it's really good because she's like what the hell Jesus and then it kind of gets this little moment of reality where she's like Maybe you uh, don't maybe exist. Maybe don't exist. It's like this totally deep moment <laughs> from that really jokey yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah they, so they definitely did a dialogue punch for that character. You know what I mean? That, yeah, that character definitely. is like, you know, super yeah. funny. She is, and she's a lot often comic relief. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With her vulgarness and she's precocious it, and yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, um, number five, your main character should evolve. Your character should be changed by their exposure to scary shit. That should be the point of the character. So, I mean, we we pretty much talked about. Finn. Yeah, we covered that. Yeah. yeah, we covered that. So this movie does that. Um, 
I, I was curious to see if he, if the, all of these questions were relevant to this movie. And um, uh, number six, know your audience's genre expectations. If it's science fiction, the audience will expect everything to make logical sense. If the horror is of magical origin, they'll give you more leeway. So that's that double mumbo jumbo yeah, discussion. And, this guy and did that, write Doctor Strange. So yeah, and and that phone <laughs> thing. You know, we don't need the exact like the phone the the. People died next to the phone. And it's <laughs> magical, like, you know. It's, it's magical. Yeah. It's supernatural. We don't have to understand it. Yeah, and even if it was science fiction, the flux Although capacitor is never did. explained in Back to the Future, and that's why it's that's why it works. They mm-hmm. they probably did die next to the phone, though, Jamie. I mean, well, true. Oh, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, yes. yeah. Yes. If if someone were to back it, break down, yeah. Hey, right. <laughs> um, was that's in the room, right? Yeah. So uh, imagine number seven, imagine all the possible ways your characters could escape any deadly situation because the audience most assuredly will. The characters should make the most logical choices. I mean, the whole movie is this. Yep. Right. It's an exploration of that. I never felt I never felt cheated or like he did anything that made me angry. But this is a good example, though, where I've seen criticisms of this movie that are like, why would he put him in the basement with a window in it, you know, and stuff like that? Or couldn't he just, yeah, couldn't he done, couldn't he have, couldn't he have uh, used the mattress to climb to the window, you know, things like that. No. And it it is where you get into trouble with these kind of movies. Cause when you're in a life or death situation, people will try to figure out every possible thing to get out of it. By the way, none of those were necessarily things that occurred to me, but <laughs> I remember, I remember just seeing people come, you know, people yeah. starting to, isn't that always the way? Stuff. I mean, that proves his point. It proves um, his point. That, I'm, I'm just trying to prove. His I made point. a laundry list of all these really clever premise specific tactics that he did, and there's the other. There's all the internet saying he didn't do enough. Yeah, he didn't. He could have um, easily put the I, mattress up and climbed up the mattress <laughs> using the footholds of the blah. But you know, it's like I the one thing the one I like was the meat locker because I was yeah. like, you know, this is good because it's just that the fact that he's a kid that he can't either break that open or like move the whole thing away yeah because we like adult we would push an adult it, yeah. probably with everything they had could probably move that thing or break mm-hmm. open the doors but right this kid can't you know right so like, even if you're in your mind you're like angry that he can't do something you're like but he's a kid yep yeah he's, that he's was a, kid, a great touch and, and right. it makes it all the more that more harrowing like oh right. god damn right. it Yep, I felt that too. I felt like, oh man, if he was a little bigger, it's, he could push. He could thing. totally do this thing. Right. <laughs> that was a nice little touch yeah. that we both felt that in that yeah. moment. That's awesome. Um, and then this one is is less a prompt and more just like uh, good guidance. Uh, number eight, horror tends to be brief unless you have a lot of deep character work. Aim for a hundred pages. Yeah, I don't have the script, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's out there. I, I kind of did a quick run, look. What's the runtime on this movie? So the runtime is a, is an hour and forty three minutes, but the credits roll at ninety five minutes. So okay. it's under probably around you know the the page per minute doesn't always track, but it's the closest thing we have, and uh, so it's probably going to be around a hundred pages at least. What they shot, what's in yeah. the final cut. So maybe the maybe the script is like a hundred twenty. I and and just as somebody that writes spec horror stuff and chops it around. This is something you should aim for. I mean, it's not a hard, there are no rules if you write a great 120 pages, but I've seen scripts these days that when I first started, if you had something under 90, it was like, you're not done yet. Go back and add a page or two. Um, I've seen things that are close to 80 
Um, and, and they're fine and nobody, nobody blinks an eye, but I, I think if you're getting over a hundred and you're writing this kind of horror, um, you're in trouble. There's, there's other kinds of horror movies that may be longer, but they're, they're, they're probably the kind of non monster in the house horror movies. Yes. You know, they're, they're probably yes. something else. Like, yeah. I don't even, I, I'm trying to think like, what are the good longer horror movies that you can think of? Like the two hour, two and a half hour horror movies. I bet Midsommar is, I and, but, two hours. but you know what? Midsommar feels like it should be a hundred. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. It, and that's yeah, to yeah. your point, right? It's, it's, it's the character burn, work. Yeah. It's yeah, like I, the character work. And I, I like that movie and, and I, a lot. You know, you can go back and listen to the podcast. But if I was writing Midsommar, it would be a hundred pages. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's no way. Well, it's that old adage. Every person in the process of, who, who stands in the way of saying yes or no when they're reading your script to get it to the next level is looking for reasons to say no. That's right. their job. Right. And the first thing that's going to give them pause before they even open the script is if the PDF is 126 pages. And then they're going like, wow, this is already way more expensive than the script on my desk next to it that's 92 pages. Like yeah. every page is more money. There's, so just, there's just that, something about the way these should read that if they're 120 pages, something doesn't feel right. They should they feel so tight and tense and fast and page turners. And when they get to 120, sometimes they don't feel like that. Um, yeah. Unless I'm trying to think of a movie because I, I actually am working on something now that's kind of a horror movie uh, that is probably going to be 110 pages. Yeah. Always but, exceptions, right? Yeah. yeah. And I tell you what it has. It has, first of all, it has multiple points of view different different characters like from multiple points of view of the horror so it's not just one person and then two it has a lot of world building kind of stuff you know so those two factors are going to push me over the 100 page mark but it it feels very different than this and i'm i'm trying to think without giving away what i'm doing i was trying to think <laughs> of a movie that might feel like it but i can't really think of one so i'll just leave it at that all right okay i think well with that i think We've reached the end of the black phone for us. The black phone, yes. Right. And um, do you guys have anything that you want to like plug or anything like that? You want to hmm. tell people? I know Jamie has a book. We already covered that. <laughs> I, but I, we... I've been mentioning the last few times, and this won't age well, but I am going to the Austin Film Festival in October uh, of this year. So it's, it's the weekend of Halloween. It's like the Friday, Saturday, Sunday before Halloween. I'll be there Friday, Saturday. And uh, if anybody's there, hit me up uh, or message me on Twitter. I'll, I'll make sure to say hi. Hell yeah. Cool. I, I guess I'll, pit, I'll, I'll plug, since it is September, we're approaching Halloween, um, a film that I co-wrote and co-produced that Bob is also involved in and Jamie helped write the story. WNF Halloween Special is on Shutter. It's only on Shutter for like three more weeks. Unless you're in other countries and it's on there a little longer, but it's only on the U.S. shutter for like three more weeks. So check that out. Get in the Halloween spirit. Very cool. Cool. Um, and I just want to say anyone listening to this episode, go do us a favor and go watch the Blair Witch movie <laughs> and tell us how you mean loud the new it is. Blair Witch, the new one, not the original, <laughs> the Blair Witch, the That's Blair Witch. Called, right? And I want to know if anyone else thinks it's extremely loud. <laughs> Yeah, I, I bet. I, I, I don't really know. want to know. For some reason, Bob, I think you and I were sitting like in the front row or something. It I, might have been. I just remember it was like a just a complete assault on my senses. I, where it was I, not in a good way. It was yeah. exhausting by the time it was over. I just yeah, yeah. 
I can I, yeah, I don't know. I just remember that ex- that was a visceral experience. It that, was in, yeah. yes, it was it was the most tense, scary movie I've ever seen, but maybe not for the right reasons. <laughs> it's because my ears hurt. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, I think that's everything, guys. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. Thanks for listening. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye bye. You've just listened to Writer's Blockbusters, a screenwriting podcast featuring two professionals and another guy. Available only on Thundergrunt. <laughs>